0: Hey everybody welcome back listen today's episode is a really special one because it involves brian galad he is somebody i met about two years ago and let me tell you how i met brian so you have some context for the interview today i was actually on vacation in texas over the thanksgiving weekend this would have been in 2019 and i distinctly remember as I was walking from the trailer that we were staying in up to the guest house that I pulled out my phone, as we often do on vacations. We shouldn't, but I admit I do it too. I pulled out my phone and I opened up LinkedIn because I just wanted to kind of see what was going on. Touch face with the uh, outside world, so to speak. And I was scrolling through LinkedIn and somehow Brian's post popped up on my screen. And what I remember when I looked at his post is that it was markedly different. It didn't look like every other post that I saw on LinkedIn. And the engagement was kind of off the hook. And so I clicked on Brian's profile. I went to see how many followers he had. He had about 15, 16,000. I went into that post that he had written. I looked through all the comments. I looked at what he was doing and I left a comment on that post. And the reason I did that is because I subscribe to the philosophy that I share with all of you Opti channel practitioners. We need to always be looking at what others are doing to understand where the consumer's attention is. And I clearly saw that Brian was doing something right in terms of engaging his audience. He had hundreds of comments. And here I am looking at this thinking, how in the heck does he do this? And so I messaged him after I left that comment. And little by little, we started chatting through LinkedIn messages, voice messages back and forth. Eventually we started texting back and forth, talking on the phone. And I remember distinctly in the early phases of that, it felt like I was talking to a celebrity. You know, it was like this person who had these tens of thousands of followers. He was growing so quickly and it felt very special to be able to talk to him. So he had about 15,000 followers at that time. And now if you fast forward to today, he is just about to hit 250,000 followers on LinkedIn. He's generated hundreds of thousands of dollars from the platform. And it was through this friendship, through this experience of meeting Brian, that I came to really understand the power of LinkedIn and what what it can do for a person. So what I did is I invested in the relationship. I gave him as much as I could. I helped him as much as I could, first of all, because I liked him, just nice guy, smart guy. I could really tell that we had a lot of common interests and passions. It's not often you find somebody as dialed in as Brian in terms of thinking, how do I engage my community? How do I give to my tribe? How do I pour into LinkedIn? How do I learn all of these little facets of LinkedIn? And so you're gonna hear some of our story here in this podcast. I have never asked Brian for anything. I have never asked him for money. There has never been any transaction like that until today. And the one thing that I asked Brian to do in this interview here is to interview my friend, Andrew Ettinger. You've heard him on the show before. I've mentioned Andrew is the CEO and the founder of a company called the best postcards. And what I thought would be cool is if Brian interviewed Andrew on Brian's live LinkedIn show. Now, if you have any small children around as you go into this interview with Brian and Andrew, I think it's probably better if you come back and listen to this later, okay? Because Andrew's got an amazing story. He went from riches to rags and back to riches, fighting back to get back onto the right side of things. And there's drugs and other things in this story that you probably don't want little kids listening to, but it's very inspiring. I think you're going to find a lot of value in it, especially if you are in the print community and you're wondering how the heck does an outsider come into the print world and start a company that is now growing 15, 20, 25% month over month in print. So if you wanna hear that and you wanna hear how Andrew has managed to turn his life around and how he's invested in his team and how he's built his company, then this interview, this special interview here with Brian Gallaud is for you. All right, let's get right into it. Here's Brian.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, maybe for you as well. Hope everybody's doing amazing. I have Andrew Edinger here and it's an absolute pleasure to have him here because he has a crazy story, amazing story. I am intrigued. I didn't hear it firsthand from him. He was introduced to me by a dear friend, Dave Rosendahl, who I absolutely love and appreciate immensely. Met him through LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a gold mine. It's a gold mine of people. And I have the absolute pleasure to have Andrew here in front of us today. To share his story, basically Andrew was a millionaire. He did incredibly well. He was a VP of Morgan Stanley, the bank, right? And yeah, in the, around the year 2001, things didn't go well and he lost everything and he went into drugs and he ended up sleeping at the friend's couch. He went homeless and then he was a millionaire, okay? And then he went homeless and he became a millionaire again. If that gets your attention, I want you to stay with us because we're going to share, or he's going to share actually, his story as to how he made that happen. What mistakes he made along the way to end up being homeless, what to stay away from, how he turned his life around. So Andrew, welcome. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Good. And thank you for having me here. And I love the opportunity to share my story and hopefully it plays a little bit of an impact in some people's lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're trying to do here. Every single time we can live, empower, inspire, educate, guide, protect. We want people to be able to make the most out of their lives. And I know that this is something that you stand for as well. So thank you for trusting me with this as well. Andrew, do you want to go right into it? The backstory or maybe we can talk about your business so that people know what type of business you are running right now? One of the things that I shared on the post as well is that you are a successful business person from the states running now your business out of Costa Rica you moved your family to which is crazy. I did. You went from North America to South America, which is the opposite of what my family did. We went from South America to North America. How's your Spanish? How's the business going? Who do you serve? Tell us everything about your your business,
2: please. So my Spanish is horrible. We're, a lot of people think we're a direct mail company, but we're not a direct mail company. We're a consulting company who uses direct mail as our niche to get away from all the noise and all the lack of transparency. We believe in all the layers and everything, but we like to really involve ourselves deeply inside our client's business. So when we're doing an interview with a client, Or they're interviewing us. We're both interviewing each other at the same time to make sure we're a good fit. Business is great. We service a lot of franchises, a lot of national franchises, but mostly the home service and home improvement industries. We're very data and analytically inclined using 3D heat maps and taking past customers and appending 3D, you know, their clients with, with income levels and home values finding out who their client is and educating them on the business and where your cl- revenue really comes from and touch points. Why I make Costa Rica is, honestly, I wanted to get away. Well, I was sick of the left, right, vax, non-vax, privilege, non-privileged. And we came, my wife, my, my two small children came for vacation and my wife who has, suffers from a disease, I don't know if some people know of it, one out of every 10 women have it, it's called endometriosis. And it's stage four and it's a crippling disease. It's it's chronic and any woman who has it knows she, there are days where you can't get out of bed. You're, you're just lying in a ball and your friends don't understand it and your work doesn't understand it. But most of your husbands don't understand it because it's the end of a, an era of intimacy and stuff like that. So 99% of husbands leave and when we came here, she had no pain. She doesn't know and my son, his allergies went away and that was it. I just said, forget it. Let's just sell everything. Let's move. Let's get out of here. I can run my business from wherever I am. And it it wasn't even a choice. My wife is my queen and my children are it. And I have no materialistic needs whatsoever, except for my bubble. And so it was really easy.
1: I love it. I love it. I love how you prepare. Prioritize your family and, and your family's well-being and your wife's health and well-being. Can you share, if you don't mind, and you haven't even shared what the name of your business is, so we will in, in just a moment so that everybody knows more about more about that as well. But the, the whole purpose of this live is to empower, to inspire. So this is not about promoting Andrew's business, but to share his story and how he was able to go from the top to the bottom and back to the top again. Can, can you share, I'm personally curious now, as to what has helped your wife's help from Costa Rica? Why is it that being there, is it just the fact that she's there and now she feels well?
2: I think my wife is from Uzbekistan and I'm not sure that she actually ever fit in with the American culture. She would always say to me like, I don't wanna go out to dinner with with four girls who are gonna complain about their husbands. Then it comes up to me and then I look like the person who, you know, but I don't think she ever really felt like she fit in. I think when we came here, there's this in Vida, which is pure life and a lot things are a lot slower here. It's just, it's magnificent here. And it's, I think the stress and the pressure that it took off, she's striving here. And I hate to even talk about that because I don't even want to curse it, but yeah. I do have a good story to tell you. And please, um, sir. please sir. so I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. My father was the first person to co-op real estate in New York City. He was worth $150 million. And we're talking about in the 80s, late 70s, late 80s. So it's, it was a lot of money. He was in the Trump sphere. Grew up in Great Neck, New York. And really, I thought that I'd ever have to work in my life. 1987, Reagan changed the tax bill. Couldn't give property away. Parents got divorced. Father cheated on my mother for 20 years. Very powerful guy. And we've all had stressful Upbringings and times, and it's all relative. Like my problem's more important than your problems or anyone else's problems. So I know everybody suffers with problems, but it was something that really killed my confidence. I didn't date a girl until after college. It didn't matter if I I had a bank check. But one thing that college did, did for me is it allowed me to find my confidence and be able to express myself. In a way where i can basically relate to anybody and so a good friend of mine his name was john near he said there's a bunch of guys from lehman who were going over to Prudential securities and i went over for to start as a rookie and everybody was supposed to cold call i never made a cold call in my life but i was networking i just pick up the phone and network and three years later to to step it forward morgan stanley offered me a half a million dollars to come over and switch my book of business now this was a home run of all home runs because everybody was making money. We're talking about 1999, 2000 and these IPOs were coming out where you get a hundred shares, but they were, they would be priced at $20 and they would open up at 400. So if you gave somebody 50 shares of something, you're literally giving them $20,000, you know? So I opened up my book and basically said, if you have an account for at least $500,000, you'll get IBOs. So over the next year and a half, I built my book up to $200 million and I had no idea what I was doing. I had a squawk box next to me that would tell me, oh, Morgan Stanley says, buy this, sell this, buy this, sell this. To me, I was a genius. Honestly, I, I, I was a genius. I was... On top of the world, I was seeing a different lifestyle than I had ever seen in my life. I was never been exposed to it. Dating women, dating the wrong women. I was an asshole. I was like, I, I believe the hype in my own self when all all I had was a gift of gab. And that's, that was my only asset. I didn't have any knowledge of, of anything.
1: Let me ask you a question. Sorry, Andrew what got you there? Was it the money? Was it the power? Was it the environment that you were in? Was it all of the above and more? What got you to that mindset that you were above everything else and that you could just destroy? Technically you were destroying your life, right? Like farting and getting into drugs and dating all the wrong women, like you are saying. What is it that, that drove more of that or was it everything?
2: I look back at it, my father was very much uh, I mean, thousands of women. And my mother stayed with him and and she was just happy to be Mrs. Robert Edinger. And I think the fact that he had blown my confidence and I I really felt at, at a certain point that I would never meet anybody. But So all of a sudden I was, I had this opportunity to meet people that I never had the chance to meet with, that I never thought that I would have the opportunity. And I met one girl and I remember the day that, you know, I met her the first day and we took a ride. We we rented a Corvette and we took a ride and I remember coming home and her slamming the Corvette door on me and me saying, this is the greatest day of my life. Like I'm getting away from this girl. I I was doing, we did cocaine the whole night and three days later I was following her and she was back in my my life and dated her for three years. And she cheated on me. I got heavily involved in in drugs and I would pay for company, but not for intimacy, but just more, more mental intimacy, more for someone to talk to. And my life spiraled out of hand and I was making people a lot of money, so it didn't matter.
1: Can you share without names, of course, where we all to destroy anyone's reputation, but who got you or what got you into drugs? Because I have friends of mine who worked in financial institutions or in corporate and they've seen and they've heard about a lot of drugs happening because of the job because of the i don't know the relationships was it the person that brought you into it was it yourself your own curiosity and you couldn't get out of it for so long what actually brought you there so that other people can be aware of this so that they they stay alert and it doesn't happen for them it doesn't happen to their loved ones to their friends how what would you say to anyone who is going through something similar? And, and maybe this
2: the peer pressure as well, right? It's expected of you because you are there. What was it for you in your experience? Typically, like, I think people would end up going through a drug phase a lot earlier than I did in like they would start at a younger age. I think maybe back when I was at Prudential, I was introduced to it by some of the old Lehman brother guys, but nothing where I cared to do it, I'd do it once every six months, once a year. But. When I got to this, when I moved to New York City, like that was the end of it. That was like 24 hours of evil around at any point. So like instant gratification. If I was feeling down, if I was feeling lonely, if I was feeling bored, if I was in an environment, obviously that there were drugs everywhere. And mm-hmm. the people who I chose to have as friends were people who were heavily involved in using drugs and there's i can't make excuses because there's no such thing as excuses in life we make decisions we make good ones and we make bad ones so i'm not sure my story will stop somebody from making the bad decision you know what i'm saying there's there's no i i i I don't want to say that it's because of my dad i don't want to say that it's because i did this i did it because i fucked up i just screwed up like i made bad decisions and i own and i paid for it like I paid for it dearly i the people who were my clients were not cold calls they were friends they were family they were my parents my brother i lost money for loved ones like that money that bankruptcy was not gonna eliminate i didn't care about my credit card debts or anything like that but when the when the internet boom that bubble happened like at the end of 2000 2001 it was that's when it even got worse for me because now, I, you keep thinking that your life is going to come back and things are going to turn around. That's a, that was the worst mistake that I ever made because things don't just turn around. And I kept living my life as if I was, it was six months ago or a year ago. And I, I, if I had any restraint, I would have stopped and I would have maybe lessened the damage. It's hard to look back and be you a know, Monday morning quarterback on it. But I got fired from uh, Morgan Stanley and I was able to actually hang on to a job at, at another company called Jack and Montgomery Scott, but I was well, done.
1: Let me post you there
2: for a moment because
1: two, two key things that you said. One earlier, so for anybody, there will be job seekers here watching as well. For anybody who is right now unemployed, we feel for you, we want to help you. I know that Andrew is also hiring, maybe he needs someone like you, maybe. No, I cannot make that promise. For him but one of the things that you said earlier and then i will bring you back to this thing that you just said was you didn't know what you were doing is that right did i hear the right thing you did not know what you were doing when you were offered half a million dollars a year you did not know what you were doing you were a genius you were at the top but you had no idea what you were
2: doing we just followed no. whatever they were telling you no. well everybody wanted to be everybody wanted to talk to the broker back then everybody wanted to get the ipos everybody I had no clue. The firm was telling me if you sell your client $250,000 worth for this C share mutual fund, we'll give you 500 shares of this IPO that's going to go up 400 points. And then I'd go out at night and I'd meet people and I'd be like, oh, if you move moved $500,000 into an account, well, I'll give you a hundred shares of this stock that you're going to make 50 grand on. It was like a game. And it was.
1: So what I want, because I, we don't know each other or we're just getting to know each other now, Andrew. So I mentor professionals worldwide, okay. Those who are unemployed, those who are employed and they want to find their next amazing job. And there are many of them who they struggle with this mindset. Am I good enough? That this uh imposter syndrome, right? And here is someone who was a VP at Morgan Stanley who recognized who acknowledges in front of all of you that he had no idea what he was doing. Okay. And he was making half a million bucks. So if he Andrew, I'm talking about Andrew, if he didn't know what he did not know what he was doing, then don't expect from yourself to know absolutely everything. Okay. It's
2: not expected for you to know absolutely everything. Listen, you, the, the best advice I can say is have a passion for something and then they can make it, you know what I'm saying? That's as best as you can do because you, you hear people say, oh, you don't have enough experience. There's only one way to get experience and that's the, the get experience. And it worked in my future business as well until. But this time I learned it, but, but Let's I, bring, I, let me bring you back. Sure. Forward.
1: You were fired. You were let go from Morgan Stanley. Yes. You did something to make that happen. Was it just because of the end of the dot com? W- what
2: was it that, that caused this? It's probably a confluence of situations, but not only was my book, and business going down, not only did I have se- six, seven, $8 million in my account that was into a negative situation because I was fully leveraged. And they see that I was having bloody noses at work, but I had one client who would give me power of authority to make trades on IPOs. And and I bought him a thousand shares of a stock that was a $100 and it was presented, it, it was from Morgan Stanley. And within three days, the stock was like $40. And so I went and... I made the mistake of sending him cash, like the last bit of cash to, and he still went and filed the complaint with Morgan Stanley. Like someone said to me when I was at Morgan Stanley, you know, it was at the end. Sometimes in your life, you have this feeling to purge your soul. When you have that feeling, shut up. You know, it's like... I walked into the uh, manager's office and I knew what was done and I didn't argue it. A lot of things happened that I could say they wanted me to do certain things that I wouldn't do and, but still, I, I can't blame Morgan Stanley. I can't blame anyone else, ultimately they were my decisions and good or bad. I, I wouldn't say I would know back then that this would, that it would have been the best thing that ever happened in my life, but it was the best thing that ever happened.
1: Andrew, quick question, and and we continue, I absolutely love this story, I, I'm intrigued as to everything that you've gone through. I have this quick question that just popped into my head. A lot of people, you ask them, would you live your life exactly like you've lived it up until now? And some people will tell you, tell no, and <laughs> people will tell you, absolutely. Like, if you ask me, I say, absolutely, I will live my life exactly. If you were to give it to me again, I take it in a heartbeat, no problem at all. I would not even gamble with this. And, i be like, oh, maybe it can be better. No, I absolutely love my life. Every single thing that I've gone through, it has not been the smoothest. It had to work hard. At some point, I was working five jobs at the same time here in Canada while going to school full-time to pay for my studies. I mean, it came from nothing. Would you choose your life exactly the way that you've lived it? Of course, you have your children. You have your wife now, right? That's amazing. But all these situations, these these times that you felt,
2: Ryan, right. my mother died in 2010, and she never got to see. But this, Ten years later, she never got to see me turn into a man. To her, I was always a mess. Up, and that's that was a regret that I lived with for a long time until I got married, and then I saw how my wife was with my kids, and I realized that when my mother passed away, she gave me my life. And any mother, any real mother, like really would do that for their children in a heartbeat. So I can't even begin to tell you the pain. That after getting fired and and all that happened that I've gone through, but I would not change a damn thing. Like everything, it's the juice is worth the squeeze, and this nothing comes easy, and nothing's gonna, no one's meeting you halfway in this world. And if you want something to to really happen, you got to give it your all. And if that was part of what it took to get to where I am, because it's all cause and effect, like. Every decision causes a different outcome. It's a life is inches. And what I have right now is worth 40 years of pain and suffering. So that's what I got. And I wouldn't be here if I didn't have that.
1: And was it really that long or how long was your pain and suffering? I will not argue that it was big pain and suffering. You went from the top to nothing
2: and back to the top. But how long was that, that fall? So like. Talking about that specific series, after I left Morgan Stanley, and I said I picked up on another job, but I was just basically filtering on the computer every day. I I couldn't afford rent. I was I stayed at my best friend, Joe, who's now the CFO of our company. Brightest, best friend anyone could ever ask for. I stayed at my friend, Anthony's. I I literally went, went for three years. I was going couch surfing until 2004 when I moved to... Connecticut where my friend was talking about opening up this shared mail company and I didn't really get what it was but I knew that I could sell anything and so I knew that I had to get out of New York City and I just overnight went and lived on his couch for seven years so for seven years I didn't meet anybody I didn't talk to anybody all I did was work I went up and down the streets of all Connecticut like town by town knocking on every door of a restaurant saying this is a product that we're going to have this is what it's going to look like this is what you're going to get before we even had a product I was selling and eventually we got a product but for, for 7 years I walked up and down the streets just 14 hours a day making 9 10 dollars an hour and every dollar I had went to pay back people that I owed money to I paid back every penny like really, that that I owed to anybody who I ever owed it to, even after filing for bankruptcy. So I had no credit. I couldn't leave my apartment. I couldn't leave his couch. And then that's when my mother passed away. And then I lived on top of a second floor of a house where I had to go up the stairs of the outside to get up to like to, through a like a roof top to get into the apartment. So I can honestly say, I, I All I did was put my head to the grindstone for 10 years straight and think that there was no light at the end of the tunnel, that Mm -hmm. it was never going to get better. It was never, nothing was going to ever change. And this, this was the rest of my life. I'd never get married. I lost that window. I wouldn't have kids. I wouldn't date. And you know, so I would say it was a a good 10 year window.
1: Andrew, how do you feel if you can remember how you felt throughout those years? You felt that you had missed some windows, but you were still working super hard. And this is these are some of the. I think it was Mike who said it in the comments, uh, who works with Dave. How hard you worked to be able to bring yourself back up. What was going through your head? You we're sleeping on someone's couch. And For some people, it's really hard to ask for anything. For me, for example, it's really hard for me to ask for something for free from someone. I I cannot ask for anything for free. I never went through. Uh, a situation like yours, I never, uh, never had hunger. I guess, even though my last name—I don't know if you know any Polish—but my last name actually means hunger. But I never, I never suffered through hunger before. How hard, first of all, how hard was it for you to ask for help when you're in that situation? I guess that was the last resort. You had to do it because there was no other option. Other, the other option would have been to sleep in your car if you had one, or sleep in the street. So you had to go to someone of trust. You had to put your head down. How? How did you face that situation? What did it do to your confidence? One thing is to ask for something for one day, for one week, but you, that you did it for years, right? Like how did you Look, go through this?
2: And it's a great question. And the one thing was, is that this was his company that he was trying to start. So <laughs> it's not, he, there, he was hoping that there was going to be a, like a pot of gold at the end of the, the rainbow. For me, it took a long time before we saw any success in it. And it was humbling. It's really humbling. But if you read the quotes, such a rocky quote, and it's life is going to kick you in the, and you're going to get down and you're going to be down on the floor. And that's where your character, that's where like what you're made of, the, the, the real stuff comes from. And you could decide to sit there and lie on the floor and be a martyr, or you can get up and you, you can kick it right back in the face and like, I just, I wasn't done. I just, I was, I wasn't done. I'm, I I was bouncing 50 checks a week for literally six years, just because I kept promising people I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to write a check and I'll figure out how to get money in the bank. And I couldn't get the money in the bank, but I wanted to do the right thing. And it was the most humbling thing in the world. Just to know that while doing that, that all your future prospects, like, you don't see them. You don't see that end of the light. It's, it's not like I started doing this and I said to myself, I'm well, three years. if I put this hard work in. I can get out of this. My, my situation is so disastrous that I, I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel for 15 years from now or 20 years from now. I just, I just said, what do I do? Like I can either give up or I can move forward and
1: I'll tell you a question, baby. This is so important. And, and this reminds me of a lot of people who reach out to me here on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has definitely changed my life. Thanks to Dave in part, because he pushed me uh, to become this LinkedIn monster. <laughs> I have almost a quarter million people follow me, which I cannot believe. Well, amazing. Thank like you, Dave. But a lot of people reach out to me and they're in desperate situations. Okay. And you had the resilience yourself to be able to go through this, even you know, without any light, any ray of light coming from the end of the tunnel. Sometimes you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're just going towards that light that's pushing you forward, right? In your case, from what you just described, there was no light coming from the end of the tunnel. So you were going blindly, hoping, praying, guessing. And I have a very important and very delicate question to ask you, which is, did you ever, or do you ever consider committing suicide? Did that thought ever crossed your mind because you're here you've managed to come kind of full circle the other way around turn your your life 180 what did you do mentally to be able to turn things around what did you tell yourself during those times
2: I, I owed people more than that you know what i'm saying i didn't owe people to take the short way out i didn't owe my mother to take the short way out and excuse someone to cry. I didn't know Joe to take the short way out. The money or the friendships or the things that they did, the tough love that they gave me to get out of it. And I went through withdrawals of three or four different drugs that honestly, I didn't go through withdrawals because I didn't even know of withdrawals. I just worked and you just plunge forward. Like I never felt that I went through withdrawals and I know I did know more about it now, but it was more obligation. Like I more did it because I felt that I didn't have the right to take the easy way out. Like people made sacrifices for me and I owed them. I and I owed it to myself to also give myself as, even though I couldn't see it, an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? That's all you can ask for is to wake up every day and have that opportunity to make a change.
1: So you were, in a way you were, this is what I'm visualizing or hearing in some way, you were cleaning up your name. You owed people. And you were basically, i um, making amends with everybody that that you messed up before, and that maybe kept on pushing you forward because you had more people
2: to pay back. It's punishment that I deserve. I deserve to face this punishment. I deserve to feel this pain. I deserve to, to all the pressure, and I, I deserve it. And that was it. And yeah. I, I really worked. Like, it was five years. I wanted. To, I wanted my mom for the first five years to see me turn my life around. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And then I. Like I said before, like I was like 37 or something when I started, I'm 49 now, um, 37, 38. And when I, we just started to make a little bit of money and I, I basically had said to myself, I will never date again. I'll never get married because by the time you date someone and you meet them, I won't have kids because it'll be too late. I'll be 45 by the time I'm... I, Met someone. And I dated them for three years, and I went on. I, I signed up for Match. dot com, dot com, you name them, Cupid, and I went on two hundred first That's, dates. No way. 200 two hundred first dates. I went on five for five. I I had ticket pads just to know what I said to people, but it was only first dates, and then. My wife lives, with my wife now, I was in Connecticut and she was in Staten Island. So like anybody who doesn't know that's like a three and a half hour ride. And so the, she was always like coming up to the top of the list, but always going back to the bottom because how do you date somebody who lives three and a half hours away?
1: Wait, wait, wait. You and I have so many commonalities and things in common. So I was 37. When, no, sorry, I am 37. I was not, 37. I am 37. <laughs> so I, so I'm really interested in how things continue from here. But the moment that I want to ask you is the moment that I said, I'm done with this, I never played games with women, never played any games with dating. Like very straightforward, either I'm into you or I'm not into you, right? Like not waiting to text someone back. They never played any of these games. I know how to play the game. I just, I'm not into that. I just want to be myself. The night that I said, I'm not dating anymore. That same night, my wife appeared. Okay. Someone introduced me to my wife. That exact same night that in my mind, they said, I'm not dating anymore. I wanted to ask you, how long did it take for you? Since you made that decision mentally, I'm not going to date anymore by the time, blah, 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 how long did it take for you to meet your wife? Was it instant, or, or it took a while?
2: So I was that guy who like in high school, like who, if you went on a date, he sent the girl a box of chocolate the next day and was immediately like the laughing stock. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know how to hold back my feelings. Like, I, I'm very uh, passionate about when things that I do and even the people I hurt, I, I didn't mean to hurt them. Like, I, I I was sincere with my relationship with them. I just thought I was smarter than I was. But I met my wife and we went on one day. But I didn't know she was my wife. I ended up talking to her on the phone for for three or four months. And even though like we had on that first day, we decided that we didn't like each other or not in that way. And we fell in love over the phone. And then one day I, I would, she would wake up late and I, I picked up the phone and I called her at 11 o'clock in the morning and she didn't pick up. And then the next day she didn't pick up. And so I just left a message like. Hey, you're on a dating site. I guess you've met somebody else. And I wanted to go kick uh, rocks, but I said, I understand how it is. And I wish you the best of luck. And two days later, she called me. She's, I got 47 messages. 45 messages were people who cursed me out, screamed at me. Like, and she was, you're the only person who acted like a gentleman. Like, we went on a, a date like the next week and she moved in. She moved to Connecticut and I I haven't been away from her for one day since, since that happened. So So,
1: I I, I would just pause you here for a moment because for anyone listening here, so I had something very similar because my, my wife, she moved from Miami to Toronto, Canada, where I am. And this happened over the phone as well. So for anyone who tells me that long distance doesn't work, but that you're not willing to travel 15 minutes out of your neighborhood to date someone telling you that Andrew was da- dating someone three and a half hours away. For me, it was also three and a half hours away over airplane. Okay. So I had to actually travel there 18 <laughs> times while dating her. Okay. You will take me 12 hours because by the time that you prepare yourself, you go to the airport and the line and so on and the flight and right. So
2: is it's it like a four hour it.
1: And so <laughs> I did it and here we are Marriage is here. We have a beautiful family with two children. Andrew did three and a half hours away and I works for him as well. They are in Costa Rica and he prioritized his wife. So what the right priorities in your life? Andrew worked. Yeah. What would you say? Like, people complain about now this person is too far away, 45 minutes. Out of my ne- neighborhood. I was traveling countries to see my future wife.
2: I went through this journey to find my wife. The whole entire journey was, brought me. To this place to find this woman the the, the only person who, besides my mother who looked at me with rose colored glasses that I could do no wrong even when I was doing wrong like I can no matter what as long as I'm honest like nobody's ever loved me the way that this woman loved me and the confidence and that's when my business took off that's when I like like I was doing a shared mail with my ex-partner now and It didn't really work out. I I, I turned the company into a $10 million company and things went on and I don't want to, I don't want to say anything bad uh, about this person because he let me sleep on their couch for seven years and, but I didn't get my share and I moved on and I, 15 people left with me from the company and I started the direct mail company.
1: So wait, so that was a missing piece of the puzzle that I didn't know. I was hoping that there would be a and you have, now you have a happy ending in some way, you have your own organization. You are blowing a lot of people and they seem so happy to have joined your team. I see the comments, how people root for you, I cheer you on. But I was hoping that the person that you actually did this business with, that you had built this business with, was the person who actually had you sleeping on his couch. That was not the case. He actually, in some way. Betrayed you? Do you feel that he betrayed you or? Yeah, I know. What do you feel comfortable sharing? Whatever you feel comfortable.
2: Listen, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything bad about him because he was there for me at a time when people weren't there for me and when I needed it most, he was there for me. I think at, at a certain point he was no longer in charge, you know, like people viewed me as like the leader and he's a very bright guy. And he's also wants to be the guy. And I think that at a certain point I got in the way of that because I learned through all my experiences, how to be a leader, what to say to people, like getting involved in their personal lives and, and making a difference. And I would say we have 35 employees and I hate, I wouldn't want to talk to all 35 for all 35, but I'd say they're all lifers. I don't think there's one person who would quit. I don't think there's one person who wouldn't step in front of a a bus for me. And I would do the same for them. And they know that by, by how I'm proactive with them. nobody has to point anything out to me. Nobody has, we're a consummate team and I've never seen a culture or an environment like this before, but we all work together as a team. And someone who comes in who doesn't understand that team mentality doesn't work for us. If, If you're come to work with us. And if you're working with us after three months, you're golden. If otherwise you'd be gone because we know we profit share, we, we literally profit share and we have a very successful company. We sell hundreds of millions of postcards a year that we make three, three, four cents on. So like the caliber of money that we make now compared to any money that I made in the past is so different people who never, I, I, people. And my company who never thought or that that they'd get that chance are, are blossoming because just like I got to spread my wings, you know what I'm saying? Mo- me, the best thing again that happened is me leaving this, getting out of this other company, So for the first time I get to spread my wings and see what I'm capable of working for myself. And that's, and I empower my people to make decisions because you can't make wrong decisions. The decisions you can make wrong are by doing it twice wrong. So, just... Andrew, question
1: with regard to profit sharing, do you feel that if you can share how you came to the idea of doing profit sharing, who inspired you to be this leader that, that you choose to be because you choose to be a leader every day, right? You wake up as a leader or you wake up and choose to be a leader or, or you locked. First of all, how did you come up with this idea of doing profit sharing? For those of you who don't know what profit sharing is, basically is sharing the profits of the organization. How do you come up with that? Do you feel that people are more, they take more ownership of their decisions? They actually care a lot more about their decisions because they feel they are actually owners in some way of the success of the organization. How do you come up with that? Like how is it, is it to structure it and how, yeah, what are the benefits and what are the, the cons? What are the negatives of that as well?
2: Another good question. So in my organization, there's no hierarchy. Like I'm not a ball. We have salespeople and they have account managers. The account managers are responsible for making these sales managers do, the salespeople do what the salespeople do. Salespeople are accountable for making the account managers handle them correctly. And then what I did is when I left, I took five people who were, I knew were instrumental and I made them partners I made them minority partners, percentages to give them, then know how important that they are. Because you don't make money by being the smartest person in the room. You make money by surrounding yourself and you being the dumbest person in the room around the smartest people. So when I go to Lou Janus and he handles our production and he says, we have to buy this machine or we have to do this. we, I know do it because he knows more than me, Joe, who's our, my CFO. Like I, I, I don't look at the numbers ever. Like day to day, I don't know whether we made money this month or we lost money, but he's in charge of that. When I'm looking at this one young lady who was a part-time person at the old company and she's a part-timer at my old company and she's making $13 an hour, 20 hours a week. And I got her a raise there because one of the graphic, the graphic designers said, Andrew, keep your your eye out on her. And now she's my chief operating officer at the best post the,
1: the graphic designer to a chief operating officer, the CEO. She
2: was an assistant, was an assistant to like, a, to like someone, she wasn't, the graphic designer pointed her out to me, but she was an assistant to someone who was making decisions at the old company and wasn't getting any credit for it. And now she's a chief operating officer and I'm grooming her to be the CEO.
1: So she, yeah. your right hand, right? Between your CFO and your COO, in some way, uh, you're delegating, you're trusting them
2: that, you know, they- I'm they, trusting everybody. everybody. Yeah, everybody. I'm trusting everybody. I don't, like, I don't trust any one person more than any other one person. We are a true team and yeah. we buy into it. And the, the day before COVID, a, a week before COVID, I gave a $10,000 bonus check to every single person in the organization. And then we got slammed the next, three days later, we got slammed yeah. and- I, didn't, I had my house on the line. I was supposed to be an owner and I was really a 25% owner in the other company. And it turned out that when I went to get this loan that I wasn't on the ownership papers. And I went to the bank and they said, we see that you make this amount of money every month, but you're not ten you're not 10 w 2 and you don't have ownership papers. So I had to borrow money to start this company up, hard money. I had to pay three points and 12% interest. So wow. I didn't, I, nobody took a, a pay cut from us during the year of, of COVID, but every single person put their head down and for 14 straight months, we've grown 15 to 20% month over month for 14 straight months, which is. This is-
1: that's amazing. Andrew, uh, the fact that you trust everybody to do the right thing, that, that speaks amazing, super highly of you in a regular person, but someone who came from going back to where we started this conversation, came with trust issues based on what happened with your dad, right? How did you overcome that? Like what, how were you able to seriously overcome that when it was, it was, it was so close, it was so close to you with your dad and your mom, how did you manage to trust? strangers
2: think about what you said before you weren't going to stop being who you are you knew how to play the game I, I i don't know how to be something else you know what i'm saying like i watched my brother who opened up a company called bpi sports and made it probably hundreds of millions i have no idea like we don't talk but and he never gave me a penny and it, i never expected a penny it's it was his, it's just truly, I'm not entitled to what someone else does or what someone else makes, but I've always been like this big teddy bear. I'm six foot five, 240 pounds. And like when I would walk into place or I, you know, they don't expect it. Like they, I wear the same t-shirt, the same shorts that I wore five years ago, six years ago when I was, when I had no money. Right now I'm driving like a, a 1989 car because I've been in Costa Rica. But money doesn't move. Like besides taking care of my family, it's like being able to do the right thing and by people who are there for me and watching these people go to war for me. And I know they do. They're they're we don't have regular hours. We work until someone texts us at ten o'clock at night. They get a te- They get a message back. We are completely all in. And as far as I almost think it's selfish. My leadership. It's because because it makes me feel so good about myself when I can make somebody feel so good that it's almost like I'm not doing it for them, I'm doing it for me. So I'm not gonna let anybody change that about me. And just like you didn't let anybody change it, or like, you're a good looking guy, ugly, fat, bald, and Jewish. You stuck to what, who you are. And this is ultimately the, the biggest thing is I got to be, become the person that I was before all this shit started. Like, again, like in real life, I'm not an asshole. I want people to do well. I want, I don't want to be able to, I don't want to go to a steakhouse and have the people, my friends not be able to go with me. I don't want my employees to be suffering. If I have one person who I didn't know that their husband was having trouble with work. And like I found out through a rep and I heard she was looking for a job and I just gave her a raise come to me she didn't have to call me she didn't ask me it just it didn't matter because the amount of money that we were talking about wasn't gonna affect my life but would have such a dramatic effect on someone else's life that it was just like it just didn't make sense to not do the right thing and it just it's amazing to see what people will do when they're led correctly andre it's, uh, it's, it's funny because many
1: of the things that you say i'm the I'm asking myself, am I speaking right now or I'm listening to Andrew? Because I, I'm not surprised that Dave introduced us because many of these things that you're saying, if I'm hearing you're right, you're saying that you feel that you're selfish because you are the one who feels good, which is the exact same way that I think because there's giving and there's taking. I love to give, uh, but Denzel Washington, the actor says that that giving is the most selfish thing that you can do. Why? Because if you do it truly from your heart with purity, it actually gives you fulfillment, which becomes like an addiction as well. You want to keep on giving because it makes you feel good. So I love to give too. The more I give, the better I feel.
2: And then also look at like the the, the end outcome. Like I have the most amazing team that I love to death that like they're all getting raises, they're all getting bonuses at the end of the year, you know what I'm saying? And they all know it and they're, and I've never yelled at one of my employees once and I never talked to them in front of other people once. I'll bring somebody into a room and I'll say, do you know what happened? Let's discuss why it happened and what can we put into place to prevent this from happening again? And that's it. And that's the way it is. Like uh, we we obviously, we, we have situations where we'll lose money on something. We put the wrong address. Like, we send 50,000 postcards to the wrong Westchester, the different state. And, and you learn from it. It's part of the deal. And it's, you learn from it. And it's all, it's, I I wouldn't have the relationship with these people if I wasn't selfish by trying to do the right thing. I want, like I really believe that every person in my company should be making six figures within two or three, like, there should be no, there are people who make a lot more, but there's no caps. There's no, there's, I, if I make money, you make money. I try and limit raises because I like to give bigger bonuses because you can't take back a raise when the economy goes badly. And you know how it is when you have an employee And if, if you take money away from them, then it makes them feel. So even though we do give, good, when I say I don't give good raises, I give good raises, but I really like to give the money in the form of bonuses because it shows appreciation and just, it's just, it's a cycle. It just shows you how me being selfish for myself and doing things for someone else makes me want to do so much more for me, which makes my business do so much better, which means, which allows me to do so much more for them. And just, it's a good cycle.
1: Andrew, if I was not self-employed, empowering everyone, and if I have not found my purpose. I would definitely be submitting my resume to you or speaking to you about what type of position you have available. I know that you are hiring, you are growing. So I don't know if you want to speak about that for a moment because again, with such a big reach here on LinkedIn that I have, I'm blessed to have so many people listening, voting on my polls, giving me their thoughts, reaching out privately, reaching out on WhatsApp. Just happy to connect with absolutely anyone. If you want to share what type of What type of job seekers, what type of professionals actually stand out in front of you? Where do they work from? Do they work just from the
2: States? Do they work
1: from other countries? Given that you actually are able to run your business from Costa Rica.
2: People like Lou and Ashley and Janice. I don't want to say names because I'm going to skip like so many people that are just so important. But most of...
1: What do you look for? In people
2: it's character so if you're looking at sales i would like somebody to either know someone something about the industry if they know something about the industry as long as they're charismatic and they're endearing and they portray themselves well that i we can get over the fact that i can teach them and now if i find someone who's endearing and charismatic and then we can teach them part of the industry so it's really, we don't do hard sells. like there's never been a hard sell. If somebody wants to be with us, they should be with us because they think that we're going to help their business. It, they have to be pushed into it and they're going to go to sleep at night worrying about it. And they're going to call the next month and they're going to say, oh, it's one month later. I got no response. Two months. If they don't buy through the process, then no problem. Just it's okay. Go do what you feel comfortable with. This is something that I believe in, that I believe that if you give me six months that that I can turn your business around and that I you're going to want to hold me accountable to. So if you like my model, that's great. If you don't, there's no hard feelings. I'll give you all the information. I'll give you all the data, all the analytics and do it like we'll never call you again. We'll never push you. We have salespeople, account managers. Those are the people that can work Remotely, obviously, people in production in the warehouse. It's
1: when you say, when you say remotely, do you mean just from the states or does this mean international as well?
2: I'm working international right now. And, and okay. if I didn't tell anybody, nobody would know. It makes it a little bit more difficult internationally because the training process and time difference and, and stuff like that. When the client's going to be reaching out to them, I've never had the situation where that's come up. But I'm a big believer that like when you find special talent, when you find that it talent, it doesn't matter if you have people in the position at all. You don't let it go. You know what I'm saying? You find space for it talent. Yeah. So I wouldn't say no to overseas.
1: Mackenzie of the similar father. I don't know if Dave is still here. I but, By the way, everybody who's been commenting here, I appreciate you immensely. Love you guys. I've been so into the conversation with Andrew that for the first time ever, I think that I've not been showing any, basically, any comments just because I'm super into this conversation, super enjoying it so much. For some reason, even though Andrew has had these up, down, and back up, and it, I haven't had that craziness, that roller coaster. In some way, listening to Andrew resonates a lot. It's my simplest thing. Sorry. It's actually Andrew. So I definitely want to speak with you, Andrew, after we we'll finish broadcasting. So I haven't been paying attention, but I think that Mac Mackenzie is actually at the same thought. Whenever you find someone with talent, you make room for that person in the organization. She's at the same yeah. thought. She goes out to find talent like that.
2: Mackenzie and Dave, like Dave for, I know Dave for eight years on LinkedIn, in which all he did was do me favors. Like, you know, like now, like we'll pass on leads and stuff like that, or whatever, or I'll help my cl- a couple of clients out with some things. But all they've, and that's how I met Mackenzie, they just, I'm looking for, I need someone badly for this, or I need help finding this, or I can't. And they just out of the goodness of his heart. And I didn't even know this guy. And now, like, I love him. He's just, he's like, a brother, you know?
1: So for anybody watching this guy that we're speaking about. Okay. This, this guy, this wow guy. Okay. David yeah, now, Everybody just, should know, uh, everybody should follow. Everybody should connect with David. He's, he changed my life because yeah. this guy, he actually injected something in my spirit. I always had that drive, that passion to get more out of life, but Dave plus LinkedIn turned me into a monster, into a LinkedIn monster. This guy, David, this guy, he put me out of his heart. He didn't ask me for anything. He didn't even ask me for permission, to be honest. At some point later on, I found my, my, my face blasting everywhere on Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, where people were calling me. We were like, Brian, someone's running your face everywhere. I was like. What's happening? So then I would see it's Dave. I was like, ah, Dave can do with my face whatever he wants. That's how I'm mixing this guy is, okay? He doesn't have to ask me for permission. So anyway, Dave put me on a newsletter on his Friday's, Friday's newsletters. And he put me there. That, I'll tell you very briefly, Andrew, just so that you know how I met uh, Dave. He put me on his newsletter and he put me at the bottom because I'm not from the print industry, okay? So he put me at the bottom, top five, but I was always there for a few weeks. I was number one. So I was like 8% growth week over week on LinkedIn in terms of followers. And then the next week it was maybe 6%. And then the next week it was 4%. But then I saw that he was there as well. And that he was climbing up and I was climbing down. I was like, oh, hell. This guy <laughs> is not going to pass me. I put the pedal to the middle. And I went, I think that the week after went 69% week over week. And I, I destroyed the whole thing. And I stayed on that number one spot for 13 weeks. I actually had to scroll back on my feed to see for how many weeks I was there. So it was 13 weeks. He felt really bad. And there's a thing about number 13. After that, I lost it. I went down. Yeah. And, but this guy is the one who pushed me to develop this habit of, of posting and empowering and inspiring and sharing my knowledge.
2: And so, this guy's so sincere and he's so real. It's, listen, I have my bad days. I have my days where I wake up depressed and I don't want to get out of bed. You know what I'm saying? Because anybody who's a business owner, every day you, as a business owner, you wake up and you feel like you could lose it all, especially when you've lost it all before. And I'm never in that position again, like my money's, you know, safe. It's whatever, but you still feel that responsibility that at the end of the day, it all falls on your shoulders. And I know a lot of people with mental health issues with the COVID and they don't really understand what it really did to a lot of people for years for people to be trapped inside, but it's as a business owner every day, I can imagine like what people go through and he sees me and we're having a conversation one day or I I don't answer him one day and he calls me and he's what's wrong and I'm just like, just didn't feel like getting out of bed yesterday, dude. I just, I didn't want to face the world. Like, I'm human, like sometimes it just gets too much. The pressure gets too much and it all falls on your shoulder and there's no one to share it with. And you just talk to me, buddy. Like just for an hour we just talked. And then he started something about mental health with business owners and that people don't realize like what you really have to go through. And he's just for him to take the time to realize and to know that there was something wrong. And and I, I don't like to consider myself a depressed person, but I'm susceptible to bouts of depression, it's just about everything else, picking yourself up, not letting yourself fall into the rut and getting off your ass and either letting yourself dive into it or get out of it. It was just, he cares and he's he's awesome, dude. He's awesome.
1: He's amazing. We hopped on a call with Dave and he was not looking for anything in in particular. I was not looking for anything in particular. Neither Neither of us were trying to sell to each other. We ended up becoming friends like helping each other, and so on. So we're here with you, Andrew. Andrew, I have a question with regards to your business. Because of Dave, because of my amount of trust in him, and now through meeting you as well, because if I trust him and he introduced me to you. Of course, I trust you, and trust is a big thing for me. It's uh, my personality. I trust you from the get-go by default. I trust you until
2: you show me that I should not trust you. You're out. There's no way back. Then. There's no way back in. That's when's your right. birthday? When's your birthday, Andrew? January twenty. Uh, December twenty-first.
1: Oh my God! So are you Capricorn like me or not?
2: Uh, Sagittarius.
1: Sagitt- so by what?
2: Rather that's not. So the
1: I am the, the other cast. I am the other, In the it. other side. I couldn't have, I couldn't have planned this, but we are like almost sharing the, the same. So you must have something. You must have something from Capricorn as well, and I, I, I have something from Aquarius as well. So anyway, so January twenty. So I am close to. So I Capricorn as well. So, Andrew. I want to dig into your business because of two things. First of all, you sparked my interest now because of Dave, because of you. I am interested now to know whether this can apply to anybody. Okay. From what i have been reading about this business, what you do, not what I, what I do also applies to any professional. we'll go into that in a moment. If we can spend just a few minutes, if if you have the time, if you have the interest, just so that we can somehow show other business owners, whether these, what you offer could actually help them. If they, if you can actually help me, you could potentially end up helping them. So we can use me as a guinea pig. So I can tell you briefly what it is that we do so that I'm not going to share everything here openly with, in front of mm-hmm. me, from everybody, but we will go into some details, okay, who I'm trying to serve, who I'm trying to make a positive impact on, and you tell me if you don't mind whether I am thinking things, why the print business is actually profitable or why it's effective, because one of the things that I read, and I on purpose, I didn't want to know much about you because I like to interview people from a place of curiosity. I, I knew enough to be able to have a conversation with you, but I read somewhere on your website that you claim or you say you have probably your facts that when you, pr- when you mail someone yeah. something, it sits, it has a shelf life of 17 days, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So why should I not, or why should I also add, maybe it's not that I should not do something, but why should I also start thinking about the mail
2: business? Why should I mail postcards? To oh, local? Question uh, yeah. who's, who's your, who's your customer?
1: My customers are professional. We're targeting, if we have to choose wisely, we're targeting Canada and the United States. Professionals who are around 35, 45 years of age, we can help anybody, but if we have to have that that persona, that buyer persona, we go to 35 to 45, North America, professionals with education who are either employed or unemployed, we, we really want, if we want to serve the best is to those who are unemployed, those professionals who are unemployed, who need to feed their families, who need to get back on their feet, who have lost their confidence, who... Cannot get any interviews and cannot get any job offers. And when they get job offers, they are not even for a fair salary, a fair compensation, those are the people that we're trying to get back on their feet. Can we serve everybody else? We can, but if we have to narrow it down, it's those types of professionals.
2: Okay. So you're truly a unique category in and of yourself. So it would be what we do would, would, could definitely benefit you, but wouldn't help your audience really understand what we do, but typically what I would say is, Brian, do me a favor, send me o- over the last two years of people that you've done business with. And you're going to send that over. And then we have six data analysts and we're going to get you on a go-to meeting two days later. And we're going to share a screen and we're going to show you where your customers are coming from. We're going to append all the data to them. We're going to append their incomes, their home values, their whether they're married, whether they're not married, whether the age of their homes, the the percentage of homes with children, we're going to, we're going to find out who your core customer is. You're a little bit different than the normal person to, with this information, but we use this information to find lookalikes, to find people who are these people that you're looking for. So if per se, like, I got off the phone with someone in like the home improvement business who said, my average client makes $350,000 a year and his home value is $700,000. Well, when we logged all this in, his average client makes $90,000 a year. And so we we're, were able to hone in and make your business so much more efficient. I think it's the only medium that I would say to you that 100% of the people have, it, it touches all your senses. You have to get it. Like it's 100%, like what other medium, what other I'm, LinkedIn, Facebook, television, radio, bubble, you have to be on it to, be, to get it. Everybody gets the rail. Even if you're throwing it out, you're making an impression. You know what I'm saying? So one of the biggest things to me is that people have lost their sense of branding. Like who you are, like who you are as a company, who you are as a person. So everybody's got to the bottom of the funnel because that's where all the pressure is from the CMOs, on the CMOs and for, on the agencies to produce. But they're forgetting about the top of the funnel where all these the behemoths of the McDonald's and Apple and Nike, and where did, where'd those things come from? They weren't produced online. And I still believe that online is a, it should always be a big layer, but you're, don't go into business to build somebody else's algorithm or to to be only as good as your last sale, because you're just buying revenue. You need to obtain your client, you need to retain your client, you need to engage your client. And Those were all things that I think are just being passed over. And we live in a digital world. And I had a franchise group that said, postcards don't work. And I said, let's, you know, they they said, I said, we, they had 40 locations. And I said, I'm not going to mention the company. And I said, mail 30,000 for each location. And what we're going to do is we're going to remove from the, we're going to remove homes number one, 11, 21. 31, 41, 51. So we had a subset of whatever, a million homes and a subset of 100,000 homes that didn't get mail. And then we took the results after the sale was over and we matched back the results to, did they get mail, did they not get mail? And 47% net lift after after paying for mail, With the results, because you're all you're doing is taking that percentage and multiplying it times the control, so it has nothing to do with the million being here and the hundred thousand. There's a forty-seven percent net lift for this franchise organization, billion-dollar company that direct mail had on this company that they didn't know existed, and it's because we live in a digital world and people need to realize that. television is still great and radio is still great and and billboards are still great but it's all going to the internet no matter what you do like even you get a direct mail piece to your house if i hit you five times over you're going to end up eventually it's a grudge purchase you're going to end up eventually going to google to type in the name of the company that you got to your house five times and you're going to want to see reviews and we didn't come up with this magic product that all of a sudden bypasses people of two and a half star reviews like our purpose is to send people to the internet. We've fought that battle for, we've been fighting that battle forever. This is a digital lead. Call jacking is nothing. It's in just, It's it just tells you when the mail hits out because everybody's going to the internet and that's important. But more that we don't even want to take credit for leads. We just want to show you that the layers together produce a better result. Like it doesn't matter who takes credit for leads. I I truly, like, we do match record boards and reviews, and if somebody's not doing well with us, and we have a 97% retention ratio of people who mail with us month over month who are not on any contracts at all. And if somebody's, we don't even offer contracts. We we still believe in them. We had that conversation at the beginning. Do you believe in this? Can you do this for six months? and, And trust me for six months. And if they can, then they come aboard. If they can't, then they end up coming aboard later. But I, I just think I think we we've hit upon like a niche in the market for advertisers in general, where you get to be alone with your consumer without any competition. And I think that's something that you know, and you get to brand that home, and it's the top of the funnel. And once you own it, it can't be taken from you. And it's not like going up what, against seventeen people. And our results are fantastic and
1: I have a few a few more questions that come to mind. Of course, I can't ask what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. So I
2: right, right. I it. Would say if, it. if
1: you don't mind, <laughs> right? I don't know what I don't know. What, one of the first questions that comes to mind is two questions. I don't want to forget them. So I will ask you both and then you can answer and I will think of more. But one of one of them is who comes up with the addresses? And the other one, before I forget, is is there a minimum size order? that one has to, has to put in for this to make sense for you. Yeah. Is there a minimum size? I am a small business, right? Right. Just starting out, it started in the middle of the pandemic while everybody was trying to get back on their feet. I was like, I'm done with corporate. I've done it for 23 years since I was 13 years old. I was in technology. I want to, I found my purpose. Thanks to LinkedIn. Thanks to my ability to get people back on their feet and advancing their careers. I want to just live my purpose because back. fact. A year ago, we didn't know whether we were going to survive as a human species. At least that's how I felt. And I was like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die tomorrow. I just want to die with a with smile. And, and my wife gave me her blessing and her support. And here we are, happy, being able to impact other people's lives positively. So the two questions again. Who comes up with the addresses? Because I have 90,000 email addresses thanks to Dave. Okay. <laughs> again, going back to Dave, who out of his heart, he just helped me collect organically 90,000 email addresses, but they don't have any physical addresses. And then the second one is size of business to start working with.
2: So I'll start with the size of the business. We have a model that, that I believe that we can stand behind and the model can fit any budget as long as you do the four pieces of the model. So if somebody came to me and wanted to, we want to help small companies grow as long as. Someone's not saying I want to do it a la carte. I want to pick this part out. We can make the model, we can make the budget fit the model, but you got to do the model because if you don't do the model, then I, you can't hold me accountable. The, as far as the addresses, it's basically what I just said. When we're going in, if you're looking for prospects, we're going in and we're taking all your clients that you've ever done business with before, and we're finding lookalike clients. And then we're going down to a granular level and finding those clients, whether it be in a radius of your location, whether it be in pounds that you want to hit. But we're finding your avatar, and then eliminating everyone else that doesn't fit your avatar. And we're wholly, and then the rest of it is mailed to your existing clients, which is so underrated.
1: So Andrew, if I don't have those addresses, can I actually do? I need permission. You, you know about a lot of the laws of mail in email as well you cannot email someone please, and did give you permission to email them you have to give them a way to opt out what about mail how is that can i just mail anybody do i need to know their name or do i need to just know their address because their address they can just find them google maps or there's a database and can you just Mail
2: anything so you, or you need that? You can mail. There's a, there's something called the do not mail list. We, we are typically, unless it's an existing customer list, we're going to do the, to the resident of, and if somebody emails us and says, I'm on the do not mail list, we have our own process in house where we automatically dedupe anybody from any mailings that we do across the country, whether they're relevant to it, just to take them off. But the do not mail list really doesn't really exist. It does in theory, but, but people will still get mail, but you can basically get any list of any information of anything you want and you mail to them. And there, there is a do not mail list. It doesn't work. I can only stop people from getting the mail that, that they request to not get from me.
1: Legal, and going to purchase that list from someone?
2: Yeah, we're buying it from the USPS. Oh. So we're buying the names from the USPS. So any name that we do buy, it, if they're on the do not mail list, they shouldn't be selling it to us. Or they're not selling it to us. Or so we're not going out and buying rogue lists or anything. We're not in the the data selling business or anything like that. Like okay. our clients get exclusivity in their territories and their surrounding areas because we want to be partners with them. We want them to know that we don't have a backup plan. We're here for the long term to grow with you.
1: Andrew, is this given the fact that they have a team of a fairly decent size? And you have analysts, I imagine you, you have graphic designers as well. You do an end to end, you have everything in house. I don't have to worry about everything. everything. I just tell you who I'm trying to serve. And then basically you just help us the entire process. I don't do anything outside.
2: You now we'll send you changes. We'll send you, we'll, we'll, or you'll get your own designated graphic designer. They'll go back with you, make changes 10 times over. You'll get someone like Ashley who's helped me build this business and she's actually My account manager. She manages me. She handles me like she's my boss, and she'll she'll ride you through the entire process of this is what we need from you. This is what this is when she'll set up the go to meetings. She'll get the she'll get the uh, lists any information we might need. We'll do the rest. We print. We do. We're a certified postal agency, so the postal agency is actually at our facilities approving the mail. And then we use FedEx that comes to our facilities to drop ship to mail. So nothing leaves our hands, you know what I'm saying? So we know where everything is until from inception to execution.
1: Andrew, what's the best recipe for someone who's just starting out small team? small business like mine, entrepreneurial, wants to maybe tap into it, see whether this can actually work for me. What's the best recipe for success here for someone who has never traded this before, wants to give it a shot. And of course, wants your guidance because you are the experts and trust you because of you, because they, what would be the the right way to approach this? It's difficult to uh, assign a budget to something that you never (laughs) That you never thought of before.
2: It's a really really difficult question because every industry is so different. So the best way to approach it is to call and have a conversation. And on that conversation, you won't be sold anything. Like we'll spend an hour, like our salespeople are partners. We'll spend an hour. We'll ask everything about your business. We're going to ask your revenue, your percentage that you spend towards advertising, where your money's going, getting your contact list. And then we'll tell you, whether we think we can help you or whether we think that this is not a great medium for you, because if somebody's selling, if somebody's selling uh tent poles, like, for, but flags in, and they're selling them for $40 each and they're making $20 each on them and they want to melt 10,000 homes. I'm thinking you'd have to sell 9,000 of those 10,000 homes in order to get your money back. So, We're always trying to figure out what your average sale is, what your margins are, what your, so it's a really difficult question to answer, but we'll tell you that we don't charge for any of these consultations. We don't charge for, for any of the data. We're happy to do it for you, whether you run with us or not. And the best way that I can tell you if it's, it makes sense for you is to have a conversation about we'll it. do better
1: you know that you're not wasting your time how do you make that decision and i say, now i'm asking you as a business owner as well how do you know that someone is really working you're allocating your resources your team members towards a conversation
2: so we, we, we've spent a lot of time practicing what we preach there's some real publications that are like bibles to the to certain industries like the home improvement industry there's qualified remodeler and all State Magazine and well, the industries that we really want to be in for plumbers and, and contractors, there's a uh, contractor biz. So for years, we've been taking these magazines that go to their core audience, the people, and we've been paying to have the magazines polybag and putting it in an outsert or like the eight and a half by 11, which kind of explains what we do. And so 90% of our incoming calls, know what we do, know about our model or referrals. So we don't do digital library. We tried it. We, when we first started trying to get leads and that's what happened. We got a hundred calls asking us, can you mail 50 pieces? You know, Do you work for the USPS? And we just stopped it. And now all, all of our business is inbound. We have no outbound, we just don't call people outbound. So we're fortunate enough that we're in a position that we've set ourselves up with the success of our clients and the ecosystem we've created for them and the advertising that we've done in the manner we do, we spent a million dollars in print media lists. Here. And that, so we're saying we kept hitting the same people over and over again, which is what we're telling our clients to do. So That's how we got our client. So it's, it worked for us. It'll work for you. And so we don't find a lot of waste. We find a lot, we're getting 85% of what's calling in is qualified.
1: Beautiful. Love it. Love it. Andrew, you are very vocal about the things that you dislike. (laughs) just like I am. What brings you to LinkedIn? You saw the you met Dave on LinkedIn, right? You met him here on LinkedIn or
2: something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, him on LinkedIn. Uh, what brought you to LinkedIn? Why you use LinkedIn? You're saying, you know, everything else is in mail printed. Um, everybody,
2: what, everybody knows the, Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Everybody knows Gary Vaynerchuk, but I, for me as an owner, and I have a deep amount of respect for him, but I understand that his business is, to bring attention to himself. You know what I'm saying? So every day he has a new theory and you know, they like. A new sales pitch, a new sales, and as a business owner, you you just can't flop, 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 flop to from this rule to this rule to this rule. This is hey, but people don't understand whose job is to bring attention to him, and he's wise. But he said something, and he's just Lincoln is a new goal. It's a a fifteen year old with a camera can take a billion dollar business and bring him to their knees. You know what I'm saying? And that just struck me like. Oh my God, like I have access to the biggest companies in the world with no barrier to entry. Like in the old days without LinkedIn, you couldn't get in touch with anybody. Imagine trying to cold call a CMO of a company or trying to talk to a business owner. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the potential's unlimited. It's just, and then as I started doing that, I started realizing that my space didn't have a voice. That. It literally didn't have a voice and that's when I reached out to Dave and I said I want to have a voice I want to speak for my space you know I want to speak for when I say my space our media like the direct mail medium and I was in who had sent me two two emails on the same day where like J. Bill and frankly other the name of the company but they both publicly traded companies that reported negative earnings that they, their stocks got slashed in half. And they both said that the reason why their stocks got slashed in half was because they did not value, they they cut the direct mail budget and did not value their catalog business and how much revenue it brought to them. And it's just like, that got me going and saying like, why isn't this story being told? And why are there, listen, there's a lot of, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of great digital people out there. When you go to LinkedIn and you type in digital experts, it's 10,600,000. Like, no, it's just, that's not it. It's, there's a few good digital experts and the rest of them are people who don't know what else to sell. And I just wanted to, for the first time, I wanted our medium to get its its justice and to have a voice and, for someone to call out the lack of transparency of what's going on with Facebook right now. And like, do you, people are, are, we're jumping up and down and yelling at me two years ago. Facebook is it now to have your product aligned with misinformation and violence and all that's going on and hate and segregation. And just, is that what you would want your brand aligned with? And that's what I just want to say. I'm not saying people shouldn't advertise on Facebook, but people shouldn't just listen to the people to the agencies who only know what they know. Like you said, they, like, they only know what they can make money on. They don't know, there is no money to be made on direct. It's just not a margin business. So I just, I love the opportunity that LinkedIn brings to, to have that reach. Like within three people, I can get in touch with anybody.
1: This it's 100% true for anybody watching. Skill, I just want to say that personally. LinkedIn, from my own experience, LinkedIn has changed my life so much. I did find my voice through LinkedIn, but I did have to put in the time and the effort and the commitment and the sacrifice. I I spent thousands of hours over the last three and a half years on LinkedIn, but I realized that I was wasting probably a lot more time doing the opposite, which was just watching Instagram videos and Facebook videos and YouTube videos and Netflix and playing video games on my phone. I was, from a professional standpoint, I was not growing. From a personal standpoint, I was not growing. From a financial standpoint, I was not growing. Even though I had the desire to want to grow, I was not spending my time wisely, efficiently, effectively to meet those desires, to meet those objectives that I have. But once I found LinkedIn, but LinkedIn, this one that we're on right now, it's a free platform full of professionals. And it's not just a place where to store your resume or your CV, as it's called in other parts of the world. This is a social media platform, social, for people to interact, to engage, to build relationships, meaningful relationships, not to reach out and say, hey, God and Andrew, maybe you will start receiving these private messages now because you were here and people listen that you're hiring. So people will be reaching out to you saying, Andrew, what a job. So meaningful relationships, get to know the other person, learn how to introduce yourself, learn how to come across in a
2: respectful manner. Right. Not the in-mails, not the spam, not the, I don't think, I, I never email anybody, but when I do, I reach on them and I, I write something that's clever and engaging and saying, listen, I know you like. I get it and business owner too. And if you tell me to stick it, I'll leave. I really think I, I would love to pick your brand. I'd love to have an interview with you. I'd love, love to find out more about your company. I'd love to find out like where you're, and I promise you there'll be no such sales pitch whatsoever, it's, but you just said, it it right in the bat. It's, you got to put that time into the relationships. If you don't put that time into the relationships and reaching out to people, no resume is ever going to be read. You know what I'm saying? But if you build your network and you get your, you get people following you and you get people liking what you have to say. Then I see a and they're in my network and I watch their stuff. I'm like, that's, I know what they're about.
1: Remember what Andrew, for everybody watching, remember what Andrew said before, it was about character, right? So it's attitude over aptitude. You can teach anybody any skills as long as they are willing to put in the time and the effort. You can train anybody to do anything. Really, we all have the ability to, to learn things. But you have to have the, the right attitude. You have to have the right character. You have to have the passion for whatever it is that you're trying to do. And every single organization does things differently. Even if you go from Burger King to McDonald's, they don't flip burgers the exact same way. The recipe is not the same. The amount of time is not the same. You don't need to know how to do that. McDonald's to be higher there. You just need to have the right attitude. Whether you're coming from Burger King or you're coming from, I don't know automotive, it doesn't matter. If you can show that where really you will put in the time and the effort, they will get you. They will hire you. They will choose you. I can tell from my experience, i bombed an interview where I answered zero questions correctly, okay, zero. And it was a technical interview as a software developer. And I still got hype. It's about the attitude. It's about that meaningful relationship. It's about making the other person feel comfortable and special and building trust and building rapport. So if you can build that skill, that's way more important. That's way stronger than actually knowing how to answer the technical question. There's no shortcuts. It's just Andrew, listen, I I personally talked to you for hours and hours so that, no, no, no. That for me this would as long as you want to come back, this will not be the last time. I personally enjoyed your tone, your demeanor, your way to sharing your story. I I personally enjoyed it. So I I would love to have you back and talk about anything that we haven't talked about, or maybe even repeat some of the things
2: that we're friends on LinkedIn and we don't even talk, but yeah, I would love to come back. I'd love to talk to you. I would love to take my kids while I still have two hours left to the beach to spend some time with them, because one of the big things about coming to Costa Rica is I promised when I made the deal to, to, to start my own business, my wife, I said, I need five years of working 18 hour days and, and just I will I I'll do it. I will I I'll put this family and she said, I'll give you five years until I think it's about to kill you. And if I think it's about to kill you, then I'm gonna cut it off. And then the best thing about moving to Costa Rica is I get that right about this time, next fifteen minutes, I get two hours where I go to the beach and I spend time with my kids and my family, which I wasn't doing and it's just mm-hmm. it's, that's everything. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen,
1: thank you immensely for everybody who's been here watching. I hope that this in some way inspired you, helped you in some way, awakened you. Reach out to either of us, to David as well. Reach out to Andrew, reach out to me. Happy to hear from you always. And yeah, we'll have Andrew back. Continue with the story. And Andrew, if you want to finish with anything that you want to share, any final words that you want to say or just leave it at this. You know
2: what? Just sometimes we get the best advice for people who are close to us and we don't listen to it because it's coming from the people who are close to us. And then we get advice from, we hear the advice from someone else and it makes an impact and for some reason it, it, for some reason it does, it's just don't give up. If if you're sincere, if you're honest, if you're endearing, if people see that they're not going to, they're not going to turn you away. You're going to find your spot. You just have to put yourself into that position for people to find that out about you. And I know that's how I always lived my life. That's how I live my life now. It sounds like it's how you live your life and just keep your head up. Like tomorrow is just always another opportunity. I guess the cliche, I, I, I do. There is one part of the story I didn't tell you in two, that my, my wife is spiritual. And in 2017, we went to Ecuador and. I tried plant medicine, but it's, it's from the toad of the frog. It's called Sapo and it's called the, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Buffalo aloe vera, but it's called the, the ego, like the, it basically destroys you, it destroys your ego. So it's, it's from, it's natural. And you, when you're inhaling it, you feel like you break up into a million particles and you're out cold and you have a shaman around you and I know this all sounds strange but you you, it's like you cease to exist like there's no consciousness and when I got up I didn't know whether I was out for 20 minutes and there were people and all of a sudden I was so scared my whole life had just been torn apart just in inhaling and when I got up I felt the entire love of the entire world blow through me. And I've never done it again. And I don't, I will never have to do it again. But that was the day that I, all the regrets I had in my life, all the worries that I had about my mother, all the, all the things that I, that ever kept me up at night, all disappear. It just, we're all connected. We're all part. We're connected to nature. We're, connected to people where there's a meaning for everything and kill the ego and it just, it, it was life changing. I don't know why I had to That's tell it. you, but, you know.
1: No, I love that you shared. I love it. I know it. And for all of you listening and watching, whether you're watching live right now or the replay yeah. later, just get out of there. Just get out of your comfort zone. Reach out to people. It. Ask for help. Right? Reach out. Like There are a lot of people who are well intention who really want to help Andrew wants to help that's why he's here he doesn't have to be here he doesn't have to be here he really doesn't have to be here he's sharing his story to to empower to inspire to awaken you I don't have to be here either I choose to be here because I absolutely love being here in front of you to to help you but three and a half years ago I never imagined that people would be watching or listening or voting or commenting or reaching out for help or being empowered by me. I had no idea that they had this skill either. But when you reach out, you build new relationships, you form that that bond, and you never know what that new path might be. So reach out. In my case, just to tell everybody, if you're wondering, well, he's saying for me to reach out, but he never accepts my connection request. I am maxed out 30,000 connections. So I have seven, literally 7,000, no, more than 7,000 people waiting for me to accept. And I can, but there's a little notification that says you cannot accept anymore. So I can. So for those of you who don't know how to use LinkedIn, when you send a connection request via the web version, it prompts you. Why do you want to connect with that person? Send a customized message. When you do it from the phone, you have to go out of your way. You have to click on more. And then you have to su- submit a personalized invite to be able to be prompted to submit the personalized invite. So for me, it's impossible to even talk to all these people. So just my advice is to learn how to use this platform. It's a real goldmine, just like Gary Vee says, it's a real goldmine, but I would say financially last because I like to focus on the personal growth, the professional growth, and there's also financial growth if you know how to use. It. I tripled my salary three times, thanks to LinkedIn. It was unbelievable. And once I tripled it three times, I was able to double my salary because I was able to provide services to people, to professionals worldwide, to help them get interviews, to help them crack those interviews. So LinkedIn has truly changed my life. And Andrew, I know that you will make the most out of this amazing platform too. And you're already making something out of it, but you will continue to make even more out of it. So All right. hope to see you again. I hope, hope I for yeah. you, Andrew. And I hope I remember
2: you. No, you're, you're awesome. And you're a gentleman. I love talking to you. And like, I hope you become boys. Yeah. Okay. You know?
1: Thank you. Stay for one minute, Andrew. And for everybody, have a good night. Have a good day. Hope to see you soon. Great. Again. Okay. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Hey,
0: everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Really quick, I just wanted to let you know, we've just opened up a texting community, which means that, You can text me questions right now, and I'm spending anywhere between 10 to 30 minutes a day answering questions from people like you that are listening to the podcast. So I want you to stop and pull out your phone right now and text me at 949-506-5835. Or if you're listening to us right now on a podcast player, let's say on your phone, maybe you're going for a run or going on a walk you can go to the description of this podcast right now go click on it and my team has put the number and a link that you can click on to make the process even easier for you to text me okay so look at that or write it down 949-506-5835 now, when you text me just say hello dave it's you know whatever your name is and it will add you to my phone and then it's going to shoot you back a message where you can add me to your phone and we can then talk from that point forward okay i'm going to be giving away tips links to live interviews free stuff quotes frameworks training links only things that you can get through this texting platform and also something specific for our friends in the print and agency community you know we come across leads all the time for print work and agency work Things that as a software company, you know, we just don't do. But I think many of you probably want to know about those things. And we come across these leads in places that you're probably not frequenting. So if you want to be able to get those leads, I also send those through text to this community. So if that's helpful to you, pull out your phone, text me at 949-506-5835. Or like I said, if you're listening on a podcast player on your phone, you can go to the description. My team has put the number as well as a link that I think you can click and it'll make it even easier for you to text me. I can't wait to hear from you. See you later. Bye-bye.